Welcome to the Heme Consult Podcast, a weekly inspiration infusion for women of color and hematology. Dear woman of color and hematology, Heme Consults is your personal space to rest, recharge, and renew your spirit with a weekly infusion of inspiration from hematologist Dr. Toyasi Anwemena. Every Sunday, Dr. Anwemena will remind you that you are a superstar and have everything you need to succeed in your incredible career as a hematologist. Welcome to the Hematology Sisterhood that will transform your world. Hello, welcome to the Heme Consults podcast. I'm your host, Teresi Anwemena, and today I am hematologist and coach extraordinaire. I love these names I have for myself. They're real, by the way. This is my titles are real. <laughs> Welcome to today's episode. We're talking about the coaching advantage, and that's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you that if you are in the academy, you are playing at a level that you haven't played before. And I know this because you once were a med student, and then you were a resident, and then you're a fellow, or maybe you're still a fellow, and then you're an attending. Every time you move, advance to a new level, you are in a new zone. And I'm just letting you know that having a coach can help you play well. And so I'm announcing that we are doing a masterclass on August 21st. If you are listening to this after August 21st, just go to our website, coagcoach.com, find our events, and you'll see when the next masterclass is being held because now I'm holding masterclasses regularly. Okay, so sign up show up and talk to me about how you can get in on our coaching program. We're talking about negotiation. And so it will be awesome. All right. So we're talking about the coaching advantage. And before I start, I want to say, oh, woman of color and hematology, that you are an elite player in this game. Yes, you heard me right. You are an elite player. You're like, what, me? (laughs) Yes, you. I'm talking to you. You are an elite player. You you are an elite player in this game. And I know that it may be hard to swallow because people have told you lies like you're no good or you suck or if only you could be better. I bet they've told you lies. If you are a person who is underrepresented in the academy, somebody has told you that you are no good at least once or twice and sometimes indirectly. And I'm just letting you know that you are actually an elite player in what you need is to know how to master the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are an elite player. And the moment you know the rules of the game, the moment you know what to do, mm, you become a master. And so I'm inviting you to think of yourself as an elite player who just needs some tools, some tools to win. I want to invite you to think about how you can equip yourself to master the game. (laughs) To master the game. Okay, so I'm talking about the coaching advantage. And I think that I'll have some ideas for you by the end of the episode. So in life, in general, I feel like people have always had different expectations for me. And I've been so lucky. I have been so lucky. Throughout my life, I've had coaches and, you know, my parents count as my coaches, I will tell you, because they didn't just parent me. They helped me develop a really strong mindset for success. I'll tell you that when I was younger, I once overheard a conversation between my father and his friend. 
<laughs> this is not like, you know, like oh, an acquaintance or somebody he had just met. This is a person who had been his friend for a long time. And my father transformed himself over the course of his life so that some of the friends that used to be really good friends, I just wonder if he should have kept them. Is <laughs> my personal bias and judgment years, years later. But what I'm saying is that the story I'm about to tell you is not reflective of my father. But I overheard them talking. And this man was like, you're investing a lot in your daughter. You know that it's only a matter of time she's going to get pregnant and drop out of school. I think at the time I was probably 13 years old. And to be honest, I um, lived in a very sheltered environment. I didn't even understand what he really meant. I was like, pregnant me? How would that happen? (laughs) But that's what he told my father. And I, you know, I don't think they knew that I was overhearing this conversation. But my father said that that would not happen. But, but really, I think what he was saying to my father was that, look, my expectations for your daughter are low. Why are you making all these investments in her? And I'll tell you that I lived in a patriarchal society and people didn't expect much of me as a woman, as a girl at the time. But my father just always told me the sky was a limit. He told me that there was nothing I couldn't do. And so I believed him. I was so fortunate that I believed him. And so when I heard people like this guy telling him that, oh, your daughter, you're so proud of her. It's only a matter of time. She gets pregnant. This game is over. I just was like, yeah, he didn't know me. (laughs) So that was, that was, you know, when I was in, what, was that middle school? I don't remember. I was 13 years old, probably. So that was, you know, that was an experience where the expectation people had of me was that I was going to fail miserably. And To be honest, he probably, the guy was probably looking forward to a day when he could brag and tell my dad that I told you, you thought she was so smart. Now, where's she going to go? And this is not me saying that young people who are pregnant early and are not able to finish school, not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with them. What I'm saying is that somebody had an expectation that 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 was all that would happen to me. And he was trying to tell my father that he should stop making investments in me because Sooner or later, all the investments would turn to nothing. So I was so fortunate to have had parents who coached me in the right mindset where I didn't even think twice about that. I was like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That's all I could think about. And, and that served me well, though I will tell you that medical training is hard. And it probably battered a lot of that out of me to the point that when I got to residency and people were like, well, you don't even know what you're doing. I kind of believed them many times. And then when I got into my faculty job and there were so many people talking about, well, you know, if you were qualified, unfortunately you're not. If you had just done this uh, and you didn't. When people were judging me against rules and standards that (laughs) were part of this thing that I'm hearing is called the hidden curriculum, they hide it and then they judge you for it. I mean, let's not even go there. Okay. So I came to a point where I started to believe it. Like, oh, well, I must, I must suck. <laughs> I mean, I didn't believe it all the way. I didn't. But, you know, I was playing along. And sometimes I believed it. And sometimes I was like, no, that can't be true. Is that true? Well, well I was very fortunate. Ugh. Again, I know I've said this many times at many episodes. I was so fortunate to start working with a coach. And to be honest, I, I give a lot of credit to the work that I've done with my coach. But there was something evolving in me. I attended a lot of career development workshops, especially outside my institution, that had started changing the way I saw myself within the academy. And so to be honest, the fact that I started looking for a coach was part of that evolution. I was like, you know what? I need a coach. (laughs) The best players have coaches. I want a coach too. 
And so when I met my coach, she actually came and gave a seminar and I was like, oh, she was really good. And so I had actually been pursuing somebody else that I knew as an executive coach. But when I met her, I was like, this is the woman I want to be my coach. And so the fact that I sought out of coach was a, a, a sign of the transformation that was happening in me. But really, my life really just transformed with working with a coach. Why is that important? Well, it's that I kind of was in a similar situation at work where, you know, people were like, well, I don't expect much out of you. Like one of the things that when somebody who will not be named, who actually is really high, I think in terms of rank or seniority, was like, why are you trying so hard? Just like, just go back to clinic. (laughs) I was trying to, you know, transition to become a researcher and submitting all these grants and manuscripts. And of course, many things were not working and it just wasn't working. And sometimes he would just throw up his hands in exasperation and say, can you just quit and just go do this thing? Because to his mind, that's where I belonged. And so when I ended up stepping into a leadership role that I think this person didn't think I deserved to be in or should have been in, and then finally there was like a lot of like, you know, outcry against me in that role, I think that was an opportunity for this person to say, hey, some people are just no good at leading other people. Why don't you quit? (laughs) And luckily for me, at the time it came to that, I'd done enough work now to kind of reignite some of the things that my father helped me recognize when I was younger. I was like, no, I can do anything. I'm not a finite person. I can expand. I can grow. There are not people who can do leadership and people who can't. There's everyone who puts their mind to work who can achieve an outcome and grow into leadership. You know, you're not born with determined talents. You can grow and expand and become a new person. And so that was helpful for me to kind of, in a sense, rekindle that where really, honestly, medical training had kind of beaten that out of me, all these subjective evaluations where people can say awful things about you and still be commended for great feedback. <laughs> it's like, what, what exactly does it mean when you say I'm weak? What am, what am I supposed to do with that? What does weakness mean? <laughs> am I weak in the knees? Weak in the head? Like, what, what are you saying? How, how do I improve that? I'm like, oh, you can't improve. You're just weak. <laughs> okay, it's not funny because it, it's not funny. But I say all that to say that there was just an expectation for who I was supposed to be. And so when I entered into a space where, in my mind, I was like, I want to win in this space. People are like, no, I want her to fail because I just don't think she should be doing that. I don't think she's capable. And so, you know, this is the thing that people call the confirmation bias, right? It's like, because they don't expect you to do something well, they're looking for examples of when you fail, where it's like, oh, I knew it. I knew she shouldn't be doing it. Quick, 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 pull her out of there. You know, that was kind of the experience that I had. But I share those stories, kind of like a hodgepodge of stories. To share with you that, you know, last week we talked about playing the infinite game. And and I told you that, you know, a finite game is where you're like, I want to beat this person. I want to beat so-and-so. I want to accomplish this. I want to win this. And, you know, all all you're doing really is just like collecting one win, one victory, or one, you know, gold medal after the other. And when you're done, it's kind of like the feeling in your mouth is like, okay, well, that felt good for a few minutes. And What else can I do? When you're playing an infinite game, it's just, yeah, you have milestones where you win. And even though you have these milestones and you're winning, you're really just playing for the long term. You're playing for your fulfillment. You're not comparing yourself to other people. 
And for those of you who didn't listen to last week's episode, I was talking about the book, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. And he talks about the difference between a finite game and an infinite game. So if you enter into the space where all of a sudden you're like, I'm here to play an infinite game. I'm not about all the accolades. I'm not about just stacking up the awards for myself, but I really want to do something that speaks to my purpose as a person, that speaks to my innate desires and my wanting to contribute to do good in the world. Then you start to really make the shift to playing an infinite game. And I will tell you, it's countercultural. It really is, because there's so many people around you playing a finite game. They're comparing you to other people, even when you don't compare yourself, they are comparing you to other people. They're like, well, this person's a top 5% of faculty members I've worked with. That's always funny to me. It's like, really, top 5%? You don't know enough people. (laughs) But I digress. So you may be playing this infinite game where you're like, I'm here for my fulfillment. I want to make a contribution that matters. I'm not about counting all these things. People are still seeing you as playing a finite game. And It's important for you to recognize this because sometimes you look around and the way people are behaving doesn't make sense to you. It's like, why does that person seem as if they hate me? (laughs) And you're like, I don't know why they hate me. It doesn't make sense. Is there something wrong with me? Am I the reason why they hate me? Oh, goodness. We just need some help. Sometimes the conclusions we jump to are awful. But, you know, you, you don't understand why you're getting these bad vibes from them. And what you're not understanding is that they're seeing you as playing a finite game. And in a sense, they've judged you to be on the side that's losing for whatever reason. And so that brings me to the second thing I want to share with you is that it may be a hard truth to swallow, but there are some people who don't want you to win. And the way I want to kind of highlight this for you is to go back to this whole concept of the finite game, like a game of basketball. There are players on the field. There's a set of rules. Everybody knows the rules or should know the rules. And if you don't know the rules, someone will call a foul. You, you know, it, it, it'll be clear that you have run afoul of the rules. So there's a set of rules. And then, you know, there's a timer and there's a countdown. And at the very last buzzer, we count up all the scores. Somebody wins. Somebody loses. It's a win-lose game, right? I mean, for the winners, it's like, great, you won. And what next? Oh, we got to win the next championship. Okay, great. Let's start over, right? And when people come to play this game, on the one hand, there's the people who want one team to win. And on the other side is people who want that team to lose. (laughs) And the people who want that team to lose, they're very serious about wanting you to lose. So they're booing you, yelling at you. And if you were like at an away game where you have fewer fans than you're used to, there's a lot of booing going on in the crowd. And some of it is not pretty. Now, I will tell you, I lived in London and in London, like, you know, soccer, we, we call it football back there, is, is really big. And I will tell you that the, the, the fans I see in the United States are really tame compared to the soccer fans in, in England. And, you know, it's not uncommon, at least when I lived in England in the 90s, that, you know, there would be a fire that would be started. A fight would start out between fans. Like, they, they're just, they weren't playing. They weren't kidding. I don't know how they are right now, but they were like really crazy fans. Like, not just crazy, we're crazy for our teams, but crazy, we're going to kill you, oh, other teams, fans, because you're so awful. I mean, there were riots where people died. I mean, <laughs> okay, just step out of that. But just to let you know that there is a vehemence with which fans can 
support the game. And the fans who want you to lose, they're not playing. They want you to lose. Like they actually want you to lose. Like they want you to lose. They could kill you if it would help the team win. And unfortunately, I, I think a lot of fans don't get to like, you know, <laughs> step into the game and, and, and be that ugly. But they're very ugly from where they are, right? They're really ugly. And I think for us in academia, I think we're surprised when we have people who have that kind of vehemence against us. And to be honest, if you're a person who's underrepresented in the academy, you get that more often than not, where you're like, wait a minute, what? 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 Why is that person so mad at me? Like, what's going on? I mean, there really are people who are rooting against you. <laughs> they want you to fail. It is a very hard truth to swallow, especially because the truth is, if you're a person who's underrepresented in the, in the academy, the whole time you've been coming through, there's been opposition. But then you enter into a new level of the game. So you move from med school to residency. The opposition is a little bit stronger. And then you move from residency to fellowship and you're like, oh, there's a lot more here than I'm used to. And then you enter into a faculty job. Mm, 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 mm. The fans who show up in the academic arena when you move to a faculty job. Mm -hmm. Oh, they could hate you. They could really hate you. And I want to share this just to tell you that I want you to be prepared as you are moving through academic medicine. There are going to be some people who feel like you're not supposed to be there. I mean, they, they really feel like you shouldn't be there. And, you know, in our politically correct environment, most of the time people are not allowed to show it. But there they find ways to show their vehemence. And I want you to recognize that it's possible and be okay with it. I know it sounds hard. Like, why should I be okay with people hating me? What did I do? But if you understand what happens in games, if someone thinks you're playing a finite game and they think you're winning means their person loses, like you're getting into med school is the reason why their cousin didn't get in, you might understand some of the vehemence that exists against you. Because in order for a finite game to be finite, somebody's got to lose while the other wins. And there isn't space for more than one winning person. In an infinite game, everybody wins because everybody's improving themselves. Everybody's transforming themselves. Everybody's better than they were the last time. So you, if you're doing the right thing, <laughs> if you're playing an infinite game, you're playing for the long haul. and You're not letting little things define you. You're not letting the number of manuscripts submitted define who you are. You're not letting the number of grants submitted define your life. You're not allowing tenure or no tenure to define who you are. You may be playing an infinite game, but there are people who see you as playing a finite game and they think you're winning means they lose or somebody that's dear to them loses. For that reason, the vehemence you experience is the vehemence of people who recognize the game as finite and they don't want you to win. And it's really important to understand this. And one example I like to give is like the rookie who moves from the rookie league into the big leagues and all of a sudden he can't play because he's never played in an arena where fans boo so loudly and want you to lose. And so instead of playing the game, you're just caught up by looking around and like, how could people be so hateful? How could people be so hateful? And to be honest, I see this as I look around is especially many people who are you know, people of color are underrepresented in the academy, they get vehemence that's poured out against them and they can't understand why it's so ugly. Like, how could people be so ugly? 
And they spend all this time looking at all the ugliness and listening for all the ugly words. And then they start to like shrink in within themselves. And, and I say all this to say that was me too, where I was like, why does this person hate me so much? Why? What did I do? And you're like, it must be me because they don't hate other people like that. But I need you to recognize that as long as people think there's a finite game going on, if they think that you're winning, put somebody else that they love in jeopardy or they prefer in jeopardy, they're going to behave badly in a way that's going to surprise you. And I don't want you to be surprised by that. In fact, the next time it happens, where for no reason it looks like someone's out to get you, I want you to say, hmm, Teosi said that in the academy, there would be things that, like that happen. And so what are you supposed to do with that? And that's lesson number three, is that if you're going to play the infinite game in a finite world where there are people who think that your winning means they lose or someone that they love loses, you got to be ready to play in that, in that league. You got to be ready to play. Like you don't get to say, or actually many people opt out and they're like, I just, I'm, I just quit. I can't play a game where people are yelling at me and, you know, trying to get me to lose. I can't play that game. And, and you know, you have to make that decision. But I want to say that you can play the game. You can play because your infinite game, the reason you need to play is because the thing that you are bringing to the space is transformative. It transforms you and it transforms the people who are beneficiaries of what you do. Many people who've dropped out of the academy, I mean, everybody has their own journey, but they were doing work that was so important. And even now I find people who are like doing work that's going to transform so many lives. And they're like, I can't stay here. I quit. And it's like, please don't quit. Don't quit. Rather than quitting, change the way you think about it. Recognize that there are people who don't want you to win. And don't let them drive your decisions. It's like a team that's playing an, an away game. And there are not enough fans. There are not enough fans. And so what do they do? They bring their own cheerleaders. And when the fans are booing them and they're getting overwhelmed, their coach is reminding them, stay focused on the game. Stay focused on the game. And then they listen for their cheerleaders. That's the only way you can play an infinite game in the game in, in where other people are thinking it should be finite. And so what I'm asking you to do is to acknowledge that there are people who want you to lose Acknowledge that there are people who feel so passionately about it that they will show it to you, but don't let them drive the way you play. Don't let them bring you back into the finite game mentality. Don't let them derail you from the infinite game that you're playing. Don't, don't worry about them. Don't let them be the reason why you play. And if you watch some of these games where the crowd is out of control and they're just so ugly, you wonder how are the players playing? But they're prepared. They know. They're not, they're not surprised that the rivals are really mad. They're not surprised. And instead, they're focused. They don't let the fans derail their game because they're so laser focused on the game. And that's the second thing I'm asking you to do. Focus on the game. Focus on your game. Don't let the people who want you to lose derail you from the game because that is their goal. They are trying to get you to lose. They're trying to derail you. They're trying to kick you out of the game because the moment you lose the game, it helps them feel like, ooh, somebody else is now going to win. Your job is not to worry about them, 
but to focus on your game. And the third thing I'm going to ask you to do is listen for the people who are cheering for you. They're there. They're there because you brought them. (laughs) We're going back to the basketball game analogy. The cheerleaders travel with the team and they are there for a reason on the sidelines cheering so that you can hear their voices. And so if you are playing this game in academic medicine, the infinite game, I hope is what you're playing. Please bring your own cheerleaders with you. And you're like, what? I came without my cheerleaders. Okay. Leave the game. Go get your cheerleaders before you come back. There is no winning without your cheerleaders. (laughs) Go get your cheerleaders. Bring them to the sidelines and say, do not move. I want to hear you cheering for me the whole time. It doesn't even matter what kind of game the, the team is playing. The cheerleaders will always root for you. Like the cheerleaders don't say, oh, you're not playing a good game. We stop cheering. They, they're not like that. Their job, they're, they are paid to cheer for you. Go find the people who are paid to cheer for you. And that might not be monetary payment. They're just there to see you win. Go find them. Bring them in. <laughs> Listen for the people who are cheering for you. So you brought them. They're cheering for you. But sometimes it's still hard to hear especially if you are at an away game and there are so many ugly fans of the rival team. Sometimes their yelling is louder than the yelling of your cheerleaders. But if you listen, if you listen hard enough, you can hear them cheering for you. And so what is the coaching advantage? Now that I'm done with all of that, the coaching advantage is having a coach who helps you to think through the mindset shifts that need to happen For you not to allow the people who don't want you to win to derail you. For you to continue to play the infinite game even when people around you insist on playing a finite game. To allow you to tune your ears to the frequency that lets you hear your cheerleaders louder than any other sound that you hear. In order to play a game like that, oh, you've got to really, really, really have trained your mind to tune out noises that don't fit and to listen only for the noises, for the sounds that inspire and encourage you. It's why you're listening to this podcast right now, because this is a space where I am cheering for you. So don't go out and play the game without people like me on your side cheering for you. I want to invite you, if this episode has been helpful to you, to please share it with somebody else. Please tell them about it so that their lives can also be transformed. And if you listen to a couple of episodes and you're like, I like this podcast, please subscribe because it helps people find us and helps more people hear about it and listen to it. And you may be like, wait a minute, I thought this was only for women of color in hematology. You'll have to go back to my earlier podcast where I define who a woman of color in hematology is. And I would just tell you just, you know, not to go back to the whole episode. But if you resonate with this message, it is for you. And if there's somebody else you know would resonate, whether they're women of color in hematology or not, please share it with them. All right. Continue the conversation with me online. We're at coagcoach.com. We look forward to seeing you at our upcoming masterclass. All right. Have a great time. I'll see you next time.